Welcome to In the Back Room with Bob Howard, where we will explore topics of leadership, motivation, sales, workplace dynamics, and trends that are shaping our future. Bob has spent the last 15 years as president of a subsidiary for a Fortune 1000 technology solutions company. Bob believes the foundation of leadership starts with integrity, self-awareness, communication, and empathy. Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. So let's get started with your host, Bob Howard. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to In the Back Room with Bob Howard. I'm really excited to be kicking off my series today. And I wanted to discuss right off the bat as I go into talking about leadership, motivation, sales, workplace dynamics, about who I am as an individual. And that really starts off with how the death of my father impacted me growing up and how that really has shaped who I am as an individual. But first, I did want to start off with why I decided to use a podcast as a way to communicate, you know, my thoughts and work with people on leadership and motivation skills. And when I took a look at all the different mediums that are out there and available to people, and I said, okay. If my goal is to really connect and share stories of personal and professional struggles, how those individuals overcame that to be successful, whether it's professionally or personally, and to create a community of diverse listeners, how do I best do that? And when I did the research and I was taking a look at podcasting, what I really enjoyed was that podcast listeners are an extremely diverse group of people. And that 50% of all homes are podcast fans. And that equates to about 60 million homes per Nielsen's uh, Podcast Insights reports. And that 80% of all podcast listeners are listening to the whole podcast episode, which I already know to be true just from my own um, experience, whether I'm walking my dog or I'm out driving, working out at the gym, I do listen to the whole session that I've decided to tune in and subscribe and listen to. Also on Insider Intelligence, they were saying that the podcast Listeners are going to be growing at least 10% this year to 117 million listeners. And that 60% of podcast listeners are in a key demographic of 18 to 34. And in 2021, the average listening time is 44 minutes a day. And you'll be happy to know that unless I'm doing a interview that I don't see myself ever getting to 44 minutes or longer. Also that uh, a website called statista.com 
they list that 78% of the population are aware of podcasts and 57% have already listened to a podcast. So again, I just think it's a great way to communicate with people. So as I started off about how the death of my father impacted who I am, I wanted to kind of explain a little bit about the background of that. So while a lot of people might know that you know, my father passed away when I was young, they might not understand the story that I'll be sharing today. So I know um, my father had colon cancer, and by the time it was diagnosed, and this is going back to 1974, it was already an extremely advanced stage at that point. Now, as a third grader and being eight years old, I was never really fully aware of how sick he was that I do know over the last few months of his life about the most that we got to see my father was driving to Brockton, Mass to the VA hospital. And then my mom would go in, we'd be sitting out in the car and she'd bring him to a window and we'd be able to wave to him. And he was, I believe it was like the fourth floor. And that other than uh, occasional phone calls, there wasn't a lot of interaction at that point. And there were five kids. I had two older sisters, a younger brother and a younger sister. So one morning, uh, my mom woke us up early uh, it was still dark outside, and, you know, we could hear some of her friends in the living room talking. And she brought all of us into a room and sat us down on the bed, and she knelt down in front of us and told us that my father had passed away. You know, that was hard to hear, obviously, and, you know, the three of us started to cry, and she asked us to try to be a little quiet as she wasn't ready to tell my younger brother and sister about his passing as she had to arrange so many things to be taken care of to get ready for the funeral. Also at the time, she asked me to stay with my younger and brother's sister at a friend of hers house until the wake and the funeral was over and that, you know, she needed me not to let them know what happened and no matter how hard it is not to be upset or cry in front of them even though obviously i would have liked to have been at the wake and the funeral i uh, obviously <laughs> went along and you know honored my mom's request at that point and we stayed with a woman who was a friend of my mom's but she was definitely a stranger to myself and my brother and sister. She was super nice. She drove a bus for the local school system. My brother and sister would sleep in a spare bedroom while I slept in a cot in a small sewing room. And the room had one of those um, bifolded slotted louver doors. And I remember at night with them shot that's really me crying into my pillow eight years old 
just so that my brother and sister really wouldn't hear me. And I remember also over those next four days being driven around. We'd be in the school bus because normally we didn't take the school bus. My brother and sister would be dropped off at preschool. And from that moment for the next couple of days, I'd pretty much be alone, which was hard because I was in this uh, lady's home. I'd go out for a walk or whatever, but you know, I definitely felt isolated at that point in time. So then growing up, I definitely felt different from my friends and classmates, really not because they treated me any different. Probably they tried to be the opposite and be more gracious to me. Maybe that really made it a little bit harder for me. But at the time, I really can't explain what, what it was. But, it, you know, it was hard because after, let's say, Little League games, birthday parties, visiting uh, some friends' houses. And, you know, people would be coming by to pick up anybody who was either at the game or at the event. And most of the time, since it was my mom and five of us kids... It would take a while for me to get picked up, so I would typically be just hanging out, let's say, after the game at the ballpark, just waiting uh, for my ride. Way too much time for me to keep thinking <laughs> at that point. Um, and life definitely was challenging because my mom was trying to raise five of us kids. It was an 1,132-square-foot home. It was a three-bedroom raised ranch, so we were definitely all squeezed into rooms. It was three of my sisters in one room, my brother and I in the smaller room, obviously. My mom worked two jobs. She was uh, trying to pay the mortgage at the time. She was still trying to put us all through Catholic school for five kids. Then I remember one day she was rushed to the hospital, and we later found out that what happened was she was in a diabetic coma. She didn't know she was a diabetic. It was definitely adult onset. It was definitely out of control. And that also impacted her ability to work two jobs because that's what she was doing at that point. So at this point, um, you know, we're poor. We're living with uh all these folks in a middle class neighborhood and it was it was hard you know i'll say i don't ever want to taste tuna helper again hamburger helper i was okay with tuna helper definitely not uh and, and you know one time my mom you know when she was sick she would ask me to walk to the supermarket and pick up some items for dinner i said sure but on that 20-minute walk, again, uh, it was super hard because I knew I was going to have to use food stamps. And back then, uh, you had to tear them out of all these books. And as a teenager in town going to the supermarket, we definitely knew a lot of people. I was always nervous about feeling embarrassed because if a friend walked up to me when I was in line or anything like that, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want, I don't want to have to do that. Actually, I would, if I saw someone, I would try to really slow down, just uh, wait to get in line. And I was really glad, as I also think back, that those programs 
are still available because they're needed by people. But I also said to myself, I don't want to have to do that again. I don't want to, when I'm older, have to be on food stamps. And luckily, also, there were a lot of friends of my mom from church. And there was this amazing uh, gentleman, James Hurley, who did so many things for people in town. He was the veterans agent for the town of Randolph. And my father um, was a disabled vet from World War II. He served in the Marines in the Pacific. And I do remember that he pushed very hard for the ability to have the disability labeled as 100%, and that really helped out a lot when it came to health benefits at that time. So all during this time, it was, you know, a lot of struggles, definitely feeling so much different than everyone else, not having money to go necessarily do things like some of my other folks that I would hang out with. But what I did do is I worked out a lot of odd jobs, summer jobs, and you know, I would share the money that I earned with my mom. And, you know, you name it, it's probably a really good chance I did it back in high school and during college. You know, weeding flower beds, mowing lawns, shoveling snow. God, I don't ever want to think of the blizzard of 78 in Massachusetts because that was brutal. Did some summer camp counselor. I was a high school janitor one summer. I worked for the Randolph Highway Department one summer. The Metropolitan District Commission trash collector. I sold subscriptions to the Boston Globe and Herald by phone. I worked concessions at the Wang and Wilbur Theater. Concerts on the Common. I also was a bagger at Shaw's, a deli clerk. And uh, when I was at Salem State College, Ames Department Store, I worked at Leachmere's. I did work study at Salem State, delivering packages for the mailroom. That was mostly just walking around with two-wheeler, department to department, dropping off those packages. So from a very early time, I had a vision of what my mother was doing, which is pushing through, working as many jobs as she can, even though the phone might get shut off, the heat might get shut off, septic tank was all backed up and broken in the backyard. We somehow, between five kids, break phones over and over again, and it would take a while before we could afford to get a new phone. But the work ethic, as I was explaining during that time period growing up, you know, I always had a job and I was always trying to help out my mom from a financial standpoint as much as I can and then leave a little bit extra to go to the movies or just hang out with my friends. Then I remember one New Year's Eve uh, while I was in college, I was driving home from my sister's house and about a quarter mile down the road from uh, the house I grew up in and where I was staying the night. I could see lights from the fire and police department in front of a house. And it was a little bit past the Ford dealership in town. I was like, geez, I wonder what happened. Hopefully the people are okay. And then I remember an hour later being woken up 
by the police banging on our door to let us know that we needed to rush to the hospital. Um, and they weren't saying anything. Uh, my sister used to work while she was in junior college for the town clerk. So she knew a lot of uh, the police and fire department employees because they would come to the town clerk's office to collect their uh, paycheck. So um, all we know is that she was involved in an accident that crashed into uh, a tree. On the drive to the hospital, I knew that had to be what I saw down the road. And, you know, when we arrived there, uh, we were told that the person that was driving the car had fallen asleep at the wheel. Uh, and when they hit the tree, even though she had a seatbelt on, it was the way she was sitting in the seat that caused her to hit the windshield extremely hard. And based off of everything that was going on, she most likely wouldn't survive. Uh, there was no real brain activity being registered on the machines. I do remember entering the hospital room. It was really surreal. You know, my sister always had kind of that, uh, what I'll call 80s hair look. <laughs> you know, and it was sad to see that majority of her head was shaved. You could see incisions, you know, she was bloated from all the fluids and the noises from the machines that were beeping all, all over the room. And it was very difficult to watch. And she survived, but, you know, she was quadriplegic. And the level of brain activity going forward was extremely low. You know, there were times when they were talking with my mother during that process about, you know, whether they wanted to take her off life support, um, but my mother wanted to wait. And that was a really hard time for us all as a family. But a lot of folks really in the community helped out and they did a fundraiser. So they were able to get a ramp installed at the house. And, you know, we would all help around the house trying to, you know, do whether it was physical therapy or, you know, when she was ready and finished from like all her hospital stints and the folks at, you know, Brockton Hospital and out in Spalding Hospital in Boston, you know, try to take her out to parks or movie, even though you weren't really sure, you know, um, what was happening inside her mind because that was unknown. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you and why, you know, the death of my father um, impacted me as obviously it would anyone else is because that's really solidified who and what I believe in as a person. I learned very early that you never give up. No matter how hard life hits you, you just need to dust it off and move forward. And yeah, it's hard. And all I can say to anyone is it gets easier every day. But that's what you have to do. You have to wake up, you know, swing your feet off the side of the bed and just keep moving forward. I also learned that 
through both my father and my sister and other things that have happened early on in life that I can handle any crisis no matter what comes my way. You know, in fact, I'll probably say that's one of the things that I do really well is when a situation is happening and it is a crisis. I can definitely remain calm during those situations. I can think things through. And I learned, or just my belief, I don't know exactly how I learned it, but I learned you do not make any decisions based on fear, right? Fear-based decisions are never going to be what I would call the best decisions in the end. And it's kind of like when I watch a football game and they go and they're winning and they're winning pretty well, but then they go into that prevent defense versus just sticking with what I'll call that tried and true. They got to that point in the game. That always drives me crazy. But I don't like the idea of just being in a defensive situation at that point. I think that, you know, it's uh, move forward. If you're using a football thing, attack, attack, attack. I also learned that loyalty, honesty, and respect for others is what life's about. And in the end, all you have is your name and your reputation. I've made a lot of mistakes, many mistakes, and I'm still learning. And I will continue to strive to be a better person, better husband and father, co-worker, leader. And as I go forward through my podcast series, I just thought it would be good for everyone to understand that, you know, I pretty much worked my entire life. I don't remember a time that I didn't have a job. I don't remember a time where I wasn't willing to help out, give back, whether it was to my mom or even recently donating things to a lot of the local community shelters. I just think it's important to be able to do that. You know, I read this just recently. Tragedy should be utilized as a source of strength. No matter what sort of difficulties, how painful experience is, if we lose our hope, that's our real disaster. And that was from the 14th Dalai Lama. And then once we lose that hope, really, that really is the disaster. Right, That feeling of things can get better. We can move on. We can push forward. Yeah, there was a horrible situation. My father passing away was horrible. But I do know it can get better. I do know I can make it better. And that there's always people that are willing to help out if people are open to just asking for it at that point. So again, I just want to thank you all for listening in to my first episode. I have some uh, great interviews lined up. I can't wait to share those and get those edited and up. And if you have any thoughts or ideas about who would be a great individual to interview, so shoot me an email, bob at inthebackroompodcast.com. Till next week, we'll talk to you later. Thanks again for listening to In the Back Room with Bob Howard. And make sure to share your thoughts, questions, and ideas for future podcasts to bob at inthebackroompodcast.com. Have a great week.